This is an ABC podcast. Hey, it's Natasha Mitchell, and today on Science Friction, the billionaires and the precocious private startup companies who reckon they can solve a problem that public scientists worldwide have wrestled with for decades. Are they kidding themselves? The promise is this, a limitless and clean supply of energy without the radioactive waste of nuclear power plants, without the greenhouse gas emissions of fossil fuels. That's the promise of nuclear fusion, right? And until recently, it's kind of been the stuff of science fiction, which might explain why fusion scientist Nathan Garland used to love playing Fallout, which is this sci-fi video game set in a future world where fusion is a big player. So it's kind of a post-apocalyptic universe as we often see in science fiction. And there is a uh, fictitious war between the, the US and China that led in that universe to a great nuclear war and that reset everything basically. And it kind of harks back to the classic TV dinner classic TV era of the 1950s in America, rock and roll, classic nuclear family, as well as, you know, nuclear fallout. Tell me about the role that fusion energy plays in this game. Yeah, fusion basically takes place as like a a miniaturised power source for things like electric cars, body armour, anything portable basically in that universe was powered by a small fusion reactor. So it was quite fanciful. And so it's a ubiquitous limitless energy source. (laughs) Yeah, seemingly in that universe. But now fantasy is inching closer to fact when scientists at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in the US reported the breakthrough results of a fusion experiment last December. We all took notice because in a world first, they'd attained what they call ignition a fusion reaction that produced more energy than they'd put in. Big news. And if nuclear fusion is what powers the sun, why can't it power us? Science Friction's Erica Voles is taking our story from here. There's always a a glow to the science fiction element of fusion. My name is AJ Cantor. I'm chief of staff at a fusion energy startup called Zap Energy in Seattle. I think often it helps people imagine the wrong thing, right? When you think about a literal sun in a reactor, I forget what it was like Spider-Man 2 that had a literal sun in a reactor and that went all wrong. Um, and it could be used for nefarious purposes. That's not actually a reality of fusion. And so I think in many ways it is quite negative. People are going to have fantastical ideas about what fusion really consists of. You know, go ahead and imagine our job is to actually build it. At the start of her career, AJ Cantor was working on one of the biggest clean energy innovations of this century, electric vehicles. Yeah, at the time, um, you really felt the excitement of being on the front end of something really world-changing. When I left Tesla, I thought that was going to be the last time I ever really felt that. AJ then jumped from Tesla to the venture capital scene investing in tech startups and looking for commercially viable solutions to the green energy problem. And what got you thinking about fusion? Because looking from the outside, it's not hard to think that compared to very tangible, very down-to-earth EVs, electric vehicles, that fusion energy seems, you know, a bit intangible, a bit pie in the sky. I came to fusion energy ultimately because from from a fundamental, what solves the problem, what solution actually matches the scale of the need, fusion energy is that thing. 
it's abundant, it's baseload power, so it's not intermittent, it's clean, it's safe, it's all of the things that you want out of an energy source. And if you can get it to a point where it's commercially viable, being able to distribute that energy to places that currently are quite lacking in equitable access to electricity and power. Cheap, limitless energy essentially for all. That's what sounds like you're painting the scenario. That's the goal. So this sounds great, but no one has actually managed to make fusion a commercial reality because the engineering challenges of containing a nuclear fusion reaction are huge. People always say fusion is 50 years away, 30 years away, next decade. Often in academia where I work in, people will say it's it's the length of someone's career, right? By the end of my career, we'll have cracked it. So that's kind of been a running joke for a long time. So what's the big hold-up with fusion energy? It already happens in nature. The sun's energy is generated through fusion. A nuclear fusion reaction occurs when lighter atoms smash together and are fused to create a heavier atom. And in that process, mass is converted to energy and is released. Boom. But the problem is that nuclear forces need to be overcome to fuse atoms together. Yeah, so basically we want to try to get them as close as possible to overcome the inherent nuclear forces that you know repel them. So we basically want to overcome that force by applying a heck of a lot of pressure just to try to get them so close that they can then be squeezed together, join and join and become a heavier particle, basically. On the sun, the fusing together of atoms like this is helped by its huge gravitational power. It's just so, so damn big. And so the weight of itself can help um, compress and bring those particles close together, lots of pressure. But because we don't have access to that, we basically need to crank up the temperature a little bit more. A little bit more? Yeah, we're talking more than 100 million degrees Celsius, up to 10 times hotter than the sun. When matter is superheated like this, atoms form a gaseous substance called a plasma. But containing this superhot plasma long enough for fusion to happen inside it, this is the big engineering problem. And one solution is to use a hugely powerful magnetic field, the most powerful in the world contained inside a huge donut-shaped device called a tokamak. So what we're trying to do is instead of using gravitational confinement, we use very strong magnetic fields to try and harness and confine this plasma to a very high temperature to initiate this fusion reaction. Plasma physicist Professor Matthew Hole is from the Australian National University. He co-chairs a large advocacy group for fusion science in Australia and beyond, and he's worked at the UK's Atomic Energy Authority. And it does work. I mean, we have managed to initiate such reactions. But if you want to generate it in continuous operation, to date, you need high temperature superconductors. And that's why the next experiment that's being built, which is this ITER project, is built from high temperature superconductors. And that will demonstrate power gains of between 5 and 10 in continuous operation. ITER is the world's biggest fusion facility, currently being built in France, involving 35 nations. To give you a sense of the scale, its magnet will generate a magnetic field 280,000 times stronger than the Earth's and weigh around 1,000 tonnes. Huge! It takes a lot of energy to initiate a fusion reaction. So for fusion to be a viable source of energy, you need to put in less energy than you produce. And no one had ever done that before, until last year. 
there were some rumors coming out that there was going to be a big press release and you know in the community we were hearing oh there's some big news coming and then it starts to get bigger in the sense of you know oh, the secretary for energy and all these um, politicians from the US are heading over to the Lawrence Livermore lab in California to actually make some announcements. So as soon as, you know, the politicians getting involved, it must be serious. This was serious. For the first time ever, fusion scientists had run a reaction that produced more energy than what was put in to heat the plasma. They call this Q equals one. That's a ratio of energy out over energy in. But that was in the lab. Getting a commercially viable energy supply from fusion is a long way off. But the payoff, I think, is so great that we have to have a go. We don't know 100% that it will work, but you have to have an honest shot. So to date, the main players having a crack are large publicly funded institutions in the US, the UK and Europe. Matthew Hole is involved in the world's largest fusion experiment, ITER, in France. ITER is being built now, so it will generate fusion plasmas around uh, uh, the, the scientific schedule is still around the early 2030s or so. Some nations have a much more ambitious platform, so for example the UK has a target where it's trying to build a prototype demonstration plant by 2040 and put power onto the grid. But now there's another player in the fusion scene, one with feisty ambitions, the startup community. to do what startups do, disrupt the dominant paradigm. Think Uber to the taxi industry, or Elon Musk's SpaceX taking on government space agencies. Could entrepreneurs and the billionaires who are backing them actually make fusion happen faster? Fusion scientist Matthew Hole. Good luck to them. Okay, good luck to them. I hope you're saying that with love, Matthew Hall, given the scale of the problem. I, I, I am saying that with love, but I'm also saying it from the point of view that, you know, fusion is a hard thing to do hard, but increasingly looking more technologically viable. And that's caught the attention of big name investors with big ambitions, like Bill Gates and George Soros. In 2021, according to a McKinsey report, investment in private companies pursuing fusion nearly tripled. Total investment as of 2022 was over 4.7 billion US dollars, according to the Fusion Industry Association. And over the last two decades, the number of startups has gone from one to around 30. So a really significant amount of money going toward developing this technology, which in and of itself is a change, a paradigmatic change to the fusion scene and the possibilities that that, that translates to. Zap Energy is one of the fusion startups getting funded. AJ Cantor is its chief of staff. The company started in 2017, and so far it's raised $200 million to build their devices. The venture capitalists who have invested in the company come from all different corners of the investment world. So Lower Carbon led our our last round. Um, We have investment from Breakthrough Energy Ventures, which is Bill Gates' clean energy investment enterprise. We have money from companies like Shell and Chevron who are incumbents in the energy space and who actually give us a lot of insight into what it really takes to build something viable in that industry. And so it's really a quite broad base of investors, all of whom 
uh, see merit in the approach that Zep Energy is taking to actually viably, realistically bring fusion to the grid in a timescale that's, that's reasonable and, and, and commercially viable. Zap Energy was co-founded by Professor Yuri Shumlak, now at the University of Washington. He came up with a new approach to fusion energy in the 80s when he was at Berkeley. It was Yuri's science that convinced AJ to leave the venture capital industry and join his company. It was an actual concrete technology that had a line of sight to a buildable, commercializable, scalable reactor design that could actually put electrons onto the grid in a timescale that matters. And that was what really compelled me. Okay, AJ, let's let's talk about how Zap Energy plans to turn the dream, what, you know, many see as, as an impossible dream of fusion energy into a reality. What's Zap Energy's plan? Our approach falls generally within the realm of magnetic confinement fusion, which historically has been done with kind of giant, expensive external magnets in devices like tokamaks, which are anywhere from half a billion at their cheapest to tens of billions at their largest. But while Zap Energy is using a magnetic field to contain the hot plasma, which is where all the fusion action happens, they're doing it differently. What Zap Energy does differently is leverage a neat bit of physics called Z-Pinch. And it so happens that the Z-Pinch concept was first discovered in Australia. Without going into the detail, Zap Energy says this setup avoids the need for the expensive, massive magnets used in the publicly funded fusion projects. Instead, the configuration uses an electric current to self-generate a magnetic field that in turn compresses or pinches the plasma to make it dense and hot enough for fusion to occur. And that's at the heart of what Zap Energy is developing, to try and make fusion a commercial reality sooner. And Zap Energy uses that Z-pinch, that self-generated magnetic field, to replace the giant expensive magnets that have historically been used in these super expensive, kind of commercially inviable fusion generator designs. Others are experimenting with the Z-pinch method. But AJ Cantor says the Zap Energy team has made progress on a significant problem, keeping the plasma stable for long enough so that fusion can occur. One of the outstanding aspects of Zap Energy's technology is the fact that relative to something like a tokamak, which takes a couple years to design, a couple years to build, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars to build, a Zap Energy design will take basically a year to design and build, which translates to faster iteration and faster discovery on the science side and faster development and innovation. So what we're targeting is a first-of-a-kind plant uh, in the early 2030s, actually putting power out on the grid and a pilot before that. So putting power on the grid by the early 2030s? Yep, that is the target. Within a decade. Okay, well, I mean, look, that sounds fantastic, but Fusion Energy has this reputation that dogs it. It's always 30 years away. How do you actually convince investors on that front, given the story around Fusion to date? Yeah, that is something we have to reckon with for sure. Um, People have been burned numerous times in the hype cycle at this point. But the fact that we can do so much science in a compressed amount of time 
means that even though we haven't reached Q equals one yet. Q equals one. Remember that important goal? Where you get as much energy out of a fusion reaction as you put in? It's important that we remember that zap energy hasn't reached this milestone yet. Okay, back to AJ. And remembering that Q equals one is just a step along the path toward an actual scalable commercial power plant rate of fusion, we're able to close that gap very quickly and we're able to move past that Q equals one moment also quickly by virtue of the fact that we can do so much science with so little capital. Griffith University fusion scientist Dr Nathan Garland isn't so convinced by the startup hype on fusion. He says Zap Energy's approach has a solid basis in physics but isn't as far advanced as the mainstream fusion effort. I guess with anything like this, I'm very cautious of anything around venture capital and whatnot. So the um, situation, I guess, is that there would be some amounts of hype. And I guess you can understand people trying to follow their ideas, follow their dreams. If they have a particular um, approach that they want to pursue, raise money to do that. But generally across the board, I think the idea is sound and it's worth pursuing in the sense of the possible payoff in the end. ANU fusion scientist Matthew Hole thinks the private sector could have a role to play in fusion. It doesn't mean that you convert all of your public funded research to having a, a private sector dimension, but you look at seriously uh, at how, how, I mean, the ultimate question is, can you expedite the delivery of fusion energy through private-public partnership? And I think you probably can because it's bringing more money to the table. And I think that's the right strategy. I think that's a worthwhile thing to do. And clearly, some very savvy and very famous investors think so too. I'm keen to get a sense of these billionaires, these big players in this scene. What I'd like to focus on is that billionaires who really have taken a personal interest in putting their money to use on global scale generational problems like climate change have started to really pay attention to fusion as an option rather than just science fiction. And so with, with an entity like Breakthrough Energy Ventures, they've made a number of fusion investments themselves, among many other types of investments in all kinds of energy storage and low carbon building materials. It's a hugely important topic that I think billionaires realize, you know, there are few things that will require as much capital to build and will have as much of a payoff as fusion. And so they're very well positioned to make investments like that. But what's the motivation? I mean, another person is um, George Soros, who's been investing in Commonwealth fusion systems. Why are billionaires investing in, in, in fusion startups? What's the motivation for them? Obviously, I'm not myself a billionaire. I can't speak for them. What I'll say is the upside of fusion energy is gargantuan. If you can build something that truly generates baseload clean power, that generates energy at a levelized cost of electricity that's no joke, equivalent to or cheaper than current moduses of generating energy today, that's a massive industry that you're changing. The, the future value of energy is in the trillions of dollars. If you can build something that really addresses that problem from both a human philanthropic perspective of trying to make a positive difference, 
but also from an investment perspective of where can I really put money and if it works, see thousands of multiples in value out, Fusion's that place. Um, and so it's a very good confluence of those two impetuses to really, to really motivate a, someone like a billionaire to actually take interest. I guess they want to be a Tony Stark type thing uh, from Iron Man or something like that. They want to leave a legacy. It's, I mean, how many Cayman Islands can you own? So the point is, is that if you have this ridiculous amount of money, you can choose to sue something which is of the public good with it. I'm not a billionaire. I don't have that stupid amount of money available. But I expect if you do have that amount of money available, you invest in things that... Uh, uh, you might invest things which are low risk and low return, or you might invest something which is relatively high risk, but massive return. So fusion is something which is, uh, when I say high risk, it's high risk for return of investment in 10 years, I think. But if it can be, if it can be done, the, the, the gain is astronomical uh, in terms of its return. And you might get to be Tony Stark. And you might get to be Tony Stark. You might, might have an investment that uh, kind of saves the world in some respects. So I think it's not just an investment decision. It's not just driven by a business. I think it's also driven by a philanthropic desire to do something good with that money. You were quoted last year as saying that one of the contributors to the growth of fusion energy startups is the growth in the size of funds under management. So fund managers have to make, you know, really big bets in order to get sizable returns on their investment. And for me, this kind of begs the question, you know, is this all hype? Just fund managers and billionaires looking for somewhere interesting to park their cash? Yeah, it's a fair question. And I think ultimately the answer is, is no. Within all of the hype, there is a tremendously valuable nugget of truth. And if that, that small sliver of possibility extrapolated out really happens, that's going to mean massive change at the human level, at the humanity scale. Now, as you may have picked up, fusion energy is always talked about as a clean energy source. That is one that doesn't produce the carbon emissions that fossil fuels do. And the recent UN climate change report makes it clear. To limit warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, we need deep, rapid and sustained cuts to greenhouse gas emissions within the decade. That means replacing fossil fuels with other energy sources fast. But fusion energy, it isn't ready yet. So shouldn't we be focusing on what's already viable? Renewable energy? Zap energy and all fusion is not going to be on the grid in time to be able to solve the entire climate change problem in this decade. What it is going to be available for is for the entire future of humanity. Without fusion, we're not going to be able to grow as a, as a species and as a civilization unless we actually have that abundant clean source of energy. Shoring up energy supplies isn't just about powering our appliances. It's also about world peace. Billionaires aren't the only ones backing the rapid growth of private fusion startups. Recently, the White House and the US Department of Energy, the DOE, have been hosting summits and actively connecting investors with startups. And if you're wondering, okay, why are they doing this? AJ Cantor says this is because a lack of energy security contributes to global instability. 
And maybe, just maybe, fusion could solve that problem. When you look at what's happening with Russia and when you look at what's happening, what has been happening for the last multiple decades in the Middle East, then you, you realize that so much can be solved by just creating a technology that's eminently deployable and that's clean and that's safe and that's all the things that you want out of an energy source. There's a very compelling reason to be developing this from the DOE side, despite the fact, of course, that having a massive industry based in the United States is no small matter either. You know, this is a brand new industry and one that could be gigantic. AJ Cantor there from fusion startup company Zap Energy, speaking to Erica Voles. So nuclear fusion could power the future of humanity, we can dream on, but it's also powered the imagination of science fiction writers. And next week we have one of the biggest sci-fi authors right now, very exciting. Erica catches up with Ty Frank, one half of the creative duo behind the blockbuster The Expanse series of books and TV shows. And we'll hear from a sci-fi writer turned futurist too, how could new nuclear fusion change the shape of our species. Today's show was produced by Erica Voles and me. Thanks to studio engineer Tim Simons. I'm Natasha Mitchell. Catch you next week on Science Friction. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.